But the good news is, like we studied last week, he did not stay in that grave. And today we are going to look at, begin to look at, the proofs for the resurrection. Because this is the one thing that makes Christianity different from every other religion is the person who started it is still alive. Died and came back. And you're going, well, how do we know? What kind of proofs do we have? Well, we're going to start laying out those proofs. So we're going to be going through this. I'm going to pray in just a moment. But we're going to be looking at why we know. And I'm going to read a lot of, cha- a lot of verses in the Bible in today's, today's message and let the Bible t- give the definitions and then explain why those definitions actually tell us what they tell us. And next week when we finish this, we will actually look at some of the historians of that time that give us outside of the Bible information about the, the resurrection. So it's not just biblical, though biblical gives us the best definitions for it. We have proofs outside of the Bible that can help us know that there was at least a statement of the resurrection. So let's open in prayer. Lord, we ask you to bless this time as we look at this and, and keep it focused on your resurrection and and use it for a tool to help us as we go forward. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we go through this over the next two weeks, I'm going to give you basically four proofs of the resurrection and then break those ones down into probably six to, six to ten points each. So this is why it's going to take a long time to go through this. But I want us to really understand that the resurrection is not something that is just absolute 100% blind faith. All right. Can we know with absolute truth that the resurrection happened? Well, how can you know anything absolutely? Everything takes an element of faith. But we can take it to the, the standard of the American legal system beyond a shadow of a doubt. All right. And so we're going to be looking at some of this. The first one is that there was an empty tomb. All right. And still is an empty tomb. And if you think about the very fact that there is an empty tomb is very important because what, is, what do we do as human beings? We put memorials over people's tombs if they're famous. The Muslims have done that with, Allah, with Muhammad. Uh, there's a shrine to Buddha. There's shrines to, to these other gods. We put up shrines and things to our famous generals and presidents and stuff. And you can always go to where they're buried and see an event. So we're going to read a couple uh, out of each of the Gospels. I'm going to read the story of it being empty. And so you keep up with me, write notes, because this is going to be fast. I've got them marked on here. Matthew 28, verses 1 through 10. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake, and the angel of the Lord descended from the heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and raiment white as snow, and for fear of him the keepers did shake and became as dead men. The angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not, for I know that you, that you seek Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said, Come and see the place where the Lord lay. And go quickly and tell the disciples that he is risen from the dead. Behold, he goes before you unto Galilee. There shall you see him. Lo, I told you. And they departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and great joy and did run and bring the disciples word. And as they went to tell the disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, All hail. And they 
came and held him by his feet and worshipped him. Then said Jesus unto them, Be not afraid, go tell my brethren that they go into Galilee, and there they shall see me. All right, in the book of Mark, read chapter 16, verses 1 through 11. And when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, had brought sweet spices that they might come and anoint him. And very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they came to the sepulcher at the rising of the sun. And they said amongst themselves, Who shall roll away the stone for the, from the door of the sepulcher? And when they looked, they, they saw that the stone was rolled away, and it was very great. And entering into the sepulcher, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, clothed in long white garment, and they were afraid. And he said unto them, Be not afraid, ye seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He is risen, he is not here, behold the place where he lay. But go your way, tell his disciples and Peter that he goes before you into Galilee, and there you shall see him, and he, as he said unto you. And they went out quickly and fled from the sepulcher, and they trembled and were amazed, neither said they anything to any man, for they were afraid. And when Jesus was risen early the first day of the week, he appeared to Mary Magdalene, out of, the, of whom he had cast seven demons. And, he, and she went and held him and, he, and told them that had been with him as they mourned and wept. And they that were heard that he was alive and had been seen of her believed not. Luke 24. And it's a lot of reading, but I want to make sure we get this, get this down, because this is one of the stories that's in all four Gospels, his resurrection, which means it's very important. Now, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, there came into the sepulcher, bringing spices which they had prepared, and certain others with them. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher, and they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. And it came to pass, as they were perplexed thereby, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments, and they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth. And they said unto them, Why seek you the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words, and returned from the sepulcher, and told all these things unto the eleven and to the rest. And Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women that were with them, which were told these things unto the apostles, and their words seemed to them as idle tales, and they believed them not. Then Peter, and then arose Peter and ran to the sepulchre, and stooping down he beheld the linen clothes laid by themselves, and departed, wondering unto them uh, that which was to come. And then in John chapter 20. Starting at verse 1. Starting at verse 1. The first day of the week came Mary Magdalene early when it was yet dark into the sepulcher and, and seeing the stone taken away from the sepulcher, then she returned, run, then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciples whom Jesus loved, the other disciple whom Jesus loved, and said unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher, and we know not where they have laid him. Peter therefore went forth and the other disciples and came to the sepulchre. So they ran together and the other disciple did outrun him. Peter outrun Peter and came first to the sepulchre and stooping down and looking in, he saw the linen clo clothes lying yet as he, yet went he not in. Then came Simon Peter following him and went into the sepulchre to see the clothes where the clothes lay. 
and the napkin that was about his head, lying with the linen garments he had wrapped together the place by itself. Then when he went in also the other disciple, which came first to the sepulchre, and he saw and believed, for as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then disciples went away again into their own home. So we want to look at this. Four accounts of it telling us that the tomb is empty. Now, this is very important. The, the tomb was empty. We know many things about this. Uh, I didn't read all the verses, and I'm not going to read them now, but I can give them to you if you want to, to know about it. But we know that they went to the right tomb. All right? Uh, when it first started out, the disciples are looking at these crazy, hysterical women that says Jesus is risen from the dead, and they're going, okay, you guys are out of your minds, because they said they didn't believe them. You're out of the mines. Obviously, you forgot where they buried him. <laughs> uh, and we're going to go, you know, we're going to go show you that he's, he's still there. All right. So we see this whole thing is the disciples did not believe the original thing, the original story. Uh, and so they went out. And one of the things that people will say, well, uh, as an excuse is, well, they went to the wrong tomb. This is what the disciples are probably thinking. You know, well, these, these ladies, it was three days ago. They've been, they've been in mourning. They've been really sad. They just, they, they went out to the graveyard and they, went, they, they took a left on the, at the first street instead of a right and they went to the wrong, <laughs> wrong tomb. So they go out there and they find an empty tomb. You know, so this is something that is very clear to us. We know one thing for sure is the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin did not want that body moved. <laughs> they did not want no body in that tomb, so they had no reason to, to move, the, move, the, move the body. Uh, matter of fact, in the next point, we'll find out that they put a guard on it to make sure nobody moved the body, and they actually are one of the greatest reasons that we know that the body wasn't, wasn't uh, accidentally misplaced. But we see that it wasn't that they went to the wrong place. And if you want to, I'm going to give you the verses real quick so you can read them yourself. But uh, Matthew 28, 57 through 66. Mark 15, 43 through 47. Luke 23, 55 and 56. And John 19, 38 through 42. They all tell you that the women watched the body being taken off the cross and placed into the tomb. They knew exactly, the disciples may not have known where the body was, but the women knew where the body was. And it's very amazing when you think about this is, the only disciple at the cross when Jesus was crucified was John. All the others were hiding in fear that they were gonna end up on a cross with Jesus. And the women and John were the only ones that were there to witness the actual death. They witnessed him being taken down from the cross and being put into the grave, into the tomb. They watched as they rolled a big stone in front of that tomb. And most people believed that that stone was upwards of a ton. So the women had a real quandary on them. How are we going to even get into that cave that has this great big stone rolled in front of it? And that would be hard for anybody else. So how, how are you going to get that stone moved? Who, you know, you're going to go ask the soldiers to move it? You know, would you please move that stone so that we can get in and take care of the body? The soldiers had one instruction. They were to make sure nobody got 
out of that tomb or you know, brought anything out of that tomb. They're not going to open that tomb. It's sealed with the royal marks. They're not opening it. And the women are there to come to anoint the body. And when did they come? Very early in the morning. Now, it doesn't tell us how early early was in the morning, but it said, as before, one of them said that, that twilight was coming in. So they were coming, the sun was just barely coming up. And they were going, it's time to go take care of finishing the burial. And remember, the problem that they had was, in the Jewish customs, you get buried the same day you die. You know, which is hard for us because we don't do something like that. But they had this process that you were buried the very same day by nightfall, because the day ended at night. You were buried. You had the spices put on you. Jesus was on the cross to right up to nightfall. And they had to get him quickly buried because they were going to be celebrating Passover the next day. And then they had to prepare for the next Passover. And then they had Passover. So now three days later, they're able to come out and take care of the body the way it was supposed to be taken care of. And you can imagine how they felt. The body hasn't been taken care of. We haven't wrapped it upright with spices and everything that we're supposed to do to it. And they are upset. You know, we didn't have our, you know, let's try to put it in our terms. We didn't have his, the, the celebration of life celebrate, you know, where people were able to say goodbye to him. We have to go take care of all the pieces of it. And so they come early and they find an empty tomb. And even better, they have angel that tells them, you know, I love it in the one, the one of, why are you seeking for the living amongst the dead? It's an amazing question when you think about it. How many times do we seek for Jesus in dead parts of our life? Areas where we're not supposed to even be acting in and then we're looking for Jesus when we're doing the wrong things. And they're saying, why are you seeking him? And I've always thought it was amazing because when you read the Gospels, you see Jesus telling the disciples, especially the last year of his life and even greatly part in the last week of his life, I'm going to die, I'm going to be buried, and three days later, I'm going to be back. Now, we would have done the same thing that the disciples did. Uh, this does not compute. People don't die and come back three days later to begin with. Uh, Jesus, you're the Messiah. You're not going to die anyway. You have, to, you have to establish the kingdom, and then once you have your kingdom established, then your descendants will reign for the rest of, the, rest of eternity. You cannot die. You have not delivered us from Rome. Uh, and, you know, nobody's going to crucify you, and then you're not coming back when you die anyway, so it's, you know, none of it made sense to them. And yet, they remembered after when the Holy Spirit reminded them. And I like to put it this way, how many times do we do the same thing? We study our Bible, we learn our lessons, and then we're in the middle of the temptation, the middle of the trial, the middle of the test. We forget everything that we learned. And we're going... Does not compute, don't, don't understand this, and then we get to the other side of the problem and go, oh my goodness, how could I have messed up because I knew this information. So people have an empty tomb, and people go, well, the women went to the wrong tomb. However, we know that the disciples went to the right tomb and found it was empty as well. And you know, one other big proof about this, that they did not go to the wrong tomb, is a real simple one. 
the Sanhedrin would have told them you went to the wrong tomb. You know, they're telling everybody there's no body in the tomb. You know, and nowhere did they ever say that there was no body in the tomb because they knew the tomb was empty. They had a problem on their hands. Jesus said, I'm returning. He returned. There's an empty tomb, and they don't know what to do about it. Because you can imagine, if you were guarding a tomb and, you're, and, you're, and your enemies were saying, uh, the tomb is empty, you'd just say, well, all right, you know, we're going to hold a news conference right here at the tomb, and here's the body in the tomb. You know, things haven't changed. They would have had reporters. They would have had town heralds and everything looking at it and saying, see, there's a body in there. Go announce it. You know, so we know that the tomb was empty because the Sanhedrin did not deny that the tomb was empty. So we know it was empty. Now that doesn't prove a resurrection, but we know that the tomb was empty because his enemies did not say, There's, you went to the wrong tomb. And people go, well, they, they took the body and buried it someplace else. There was no way that they took the body to put it someplace else because that would add to the evidence of a risen, risen person. They wanted a body in that tomb and to prove to them that there was a body. So they would no reason to make it anything but an empty. So an empty tomb proves to us that it was true. Now, the other thing that really helps us in understanding that this is a true story, and this is one that's going to shock most people by today's standards, is the women told the story. <laughs> now, that doesn't mean much to us in our day and age because all of our women's live and, you know, the rights of women and everything. But when you were back in their day, in Jesus' day, ladies, I hate to tell you this, but if you had a crime done right in front of you, you couldn't testify in court. You had no rights. <laughs> in Jesus' day. So if somebody wanted to get away from it, all they had to do was make sure there were no men in, 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 in the presence of their, of their crime. The disciples are saying that the women told them this story. So it's not something they made up. It's not something that they did because they, if they were making this story up, who would the heroes be in this story? Would not be the women. It would not be the women in their day and age to, to make the heroes of, of going to the tomb. It would have been them. They, you know, hey, we went out there early in the morning and there was, no, there was nobody there. We saw it. So for us in our day and age, this is not as big a proof, but in their day, this was a huge thing. All right, what's wrong with you guys? Don't you realize that women can't give testimonies is what they're going to say. So the very fact that they're recording that the women saw this gives validity to their story for their day and age. Because otherwise, they would have changed it. If they were making it up, the women would not have been the heroes. <laughs> they would have been the heroes. So this gives us the validity of the story of an empty tomb discovered by the women and testified of by the women. Because each one of the Gospels that do talk about it, what were the disciples' uh, attitude? One says that the disciples were perplexed. One said that they thought that they were out of their mind, that the ladies were out of their minds. You know, we saw their attitude toward a testimony, and that would be the testimony of most of the people that would hear this in that day and age. Okay, what's wrong with you guys? You, you know, this is not the way the story's supposed to go. So, and again, that is a real proof to us of, of the validity of their story. And even in today's world, it doesn't mean as much, but in their day and age, that was a huge proof of the validity of their story. So we have an empty tomb. So now we have a problem in there is that 
People are going to say, well, the body was stolen. <laughs> That's been out there for years. Matter of fact, that is what the Sanhedrin plants in. And we're going to read those, those verses real quick to, to uh, cover that. So uh, Matthew 28 again. This time, verses 11 through 15. Now when they were going to the going, behold, some of the watch came into the city and showed unto the chief priest all the things that were done. And when they were assembled with the elders and had taken counsel, they gave large money to the, a large sum of money to the soldiers, saying, Say here, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we slept. And if this comes to the governor's ear, we will persuade him and secure you. And they took the money and did as they were taught. And this saying is commonly reported amongst the Jews to this day. So this is kind of an interesting statement. Uh, the guards are guarding an empty tomb. An angel comes, shakes the, you know, there's that earthquake that happens. The, the rock is moved by the angels. And they basically are without any power. Now you want to picture this. This is a Roman guard guarding the tomb. All right. Uh, they are famous for, you know, with the, something at their back not being defeated. You know, this is a guard that is used to being able to handle an entire army coming at them. And they end up guarding an empty tomb. And an angel defeats them and opens that rock. And, and it, so they go immediately... And you notice who they go to. And if you're in the military, you'll notice that this is not what you're supposed to do. They did not go to their superiors. They went to the council, the Sanhedrin. Uh, said, we got a problem, gentlemen. The, guard, the, the tomb that we were guarding is empty. And there was an angel that, that came along. And they ended up with a wonderful story. They paid them off. They bribed them. <laughs> They bribed the guard. Now, I don't know how much money it took to bribe them because there's a problem with this bribing that they're going to do. Because they're going to tell them, you tell the people that the disciples came and stole the body while you were asleep. Now, there's lots of problems with that story. Now, the first of it, if anybody has been around the military, knows anything about the military, when you are on duty, you do not sleep. It's the same even in our day. As it was in the Roman day, if you were on sleep, you could be executed. Now, in peacetime, they don't usually execute you. They just court-martial you and, and punish you. But at wartime, they could literally execute you for falling asleep on post. There is no way that these soldiers fell asleep that night. During their four hours on duty, there is no way that they fell asleep. Because they would have been executed. This was a big deal. They were guarding a dead body that was said, this guy is supposed to come back from the life. Nobody is to take that body. It was pressed on them. There is no way they fell asleep. Now, that's number one. Now, you don't fall asleep when you're on post, especially back in those days. You would have been executed on the spot. Now, the other part about this story is that they said, uh, you know, the disciples are totally afraid at this point in time. The disciples are not coming to steal that body. They're so fearful they didn't even go to the cross and watch him die. So the idea that the disciples went to the body, uh, went, to, went to the tomb, overpowered the elite Roman guard, moved the stone away, took the body, is crazy. 
All right, they were, 12 men would not have been able to defeat that Roman guard, or 11 of them, because Judas is dead. So you got that problem. But I think the biggest thing about this that we want to look at, and I don't know about any of you, or I do actually, but when I'm asleep, I don't know anything about what's going on around me. I have always thought that this excuse was one of the craziest excuses that have ever been in the Bible. There's lots of them. But while we were asleep, the disciples came and stole the body. All right? Number one, we shouldn't have been asleep. But, you know, while they were sleeping, they know what happened. You know, I find it pretty amazing. When I go to sleep, it seems like I just close my eyes and it's time to get up. You know, and I have no idea what's going on around me during that time that I'm asleep. And these guys are going, well... By the way, we were sleeping, we weren't supposed to be. And while we were sleeping, we knew that the disciples came and stole the body. Well, if you knew the disciples stole the body, then why didn't you go get the body and bring it back? Because you knew who it was that took it. So we think about this, you know, and to me, this is one of the worst excuses in the Bible. It's not the worst. My, my favorite excuse of all the excuses in the Bible is when Aaron told Moses that he threw the gold in the fire and out came a, out came a golden calf. You know, I'm going, okay, that, that tops all excuses out there. He's trying to say a miracle happened. You know, but this is really close to the worst excuse in the Bible. <laughs> While we were sleeping, this body. So what are they admitting? Number one, nobody's, nothing's in that tomb. But they are trying to say the disciples did this. The disciples stole the body. Now, people will go, well, see, there it is. Here's the proof. This is out there. And it kind of might make some sense, you know. But there's one area that makes this story an absolute lie. Every single one of the disciples, except for John, died a martyr's death and a violent death preaching the resurrection of Jesus now people people go well people will die for a lie all the time but they won't die for a lie that they know is a lie you will only die for something that you know or at least truly believe is a, is true every one of the disciples died for proclaiming that Jesus rose from the dead Violently. Paul is beheaded. Peter is crucified. Uh, uh, James is, is stoned. We have Thomas who is uh, run through with lances in Italy, in India. We have one who's actually literally quartered. And their quartering was not nice. If you'd understand what quartering was, they tied him to four, uh, four animals and drug him in four different directions until his body literally broke. And none of them ever recanted Jesus' resurrection. Why? Because they had seen him resurrected. They knew he was resurrected, and they were ready to die for that truth. Because ultimately, what does the resurrection mean to us? Is that when we die, our life is not over. When we die, we get to go be with Jesus and the rest of those that are saved. This gives us an extreme advantage over the world because we have no fear of death if we truly believe in the resurrection. 
Because when I die, life starts. My body is dead, but my life truly starts because I am released, I am fully glorified, I get my resurrected body at the resurrection, and I get to spend time with Jesus Christ in heaven and the God the Father in heaven, and I should have nothing to be ashamed of if I truly believe in the resurrection. This is the power. This is why I'm going over the, why do we know that it happened? Because we need that kind of power. As we're reaching into the end days and things are getting harder and harder to be a Christian, we may have to face just this. Will you recant this crazy story that this man died on a tree and then rose again from the dead? If we truly believe it, it's nope, send me home. Send me home to go see him. I am ready to go home. This is the important thing about it. They died. They were willing to die. And people will die for a lie if they don't, as long as they believe it's the truth, but they will not die for a lie that they know is a lie. You put enough pressure on somebody and they're going to break. The problem with torture is if they're already telling the truth, all you're going to do is hurt the person and eventually get a lie out of them, maybe. But these men were ready to die for Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. So our first two points that we've talked about is an empty tomb that nobody denies is empty, including the enemies. The enemies actually accept that it's empty. But then the excuse that they try to make is somebody took the body, the disciples took the body, somebody took the body. All right? The disciples are too afraid to, afraid to steal the body, and they died for the, the, the idea that Jesus rose. There is no way the Romans took the body. You know, that would just prove that this crazy teacher actually did what he said, and the Sanhedrin and Jews did definitely did not take that body. You know, that would be the, the worst thing for them is to have no body in that, that tomb. They wanted a body in that tomb. They had, they had put a guard on it. They had put a seal on it because they went to Pilate and said, uh, while he was yet alive, he said that he was going to come back in three days. Now, we need to make sure nobody steals that body. And we talked about it last week. I am really amazed that the enemies of Christ knew that his prophecy of returning in three days better than the disciples did. Intended to believe that something might happen. And the disciples are, are in fear and trembling. But these are two of our four proofs that we're going to talk about. So we'll do the other two next week. I knew this was going to end up being a two-week message. Uh, but... I want us to come out of this knowing that we know that the resurrection is true. That we have no doubt about the resurrection. And we can be very confident that Jesus died on that cross for us and that he rose again from the dead. So that is where we're at. Lord, we ask you to bless this day. Bless us as we go into the rest of this day and the, and the fellowship and together, gathering together and with the food and all and bless the songs that we're going to sing and bless our fellowship Lord and if there's anybody that doesn't know you Lord that they will accept that you died on that cross and rose for their victory to cover their sin and that they will turn their heart over to you we thank you in Jesus name amen listening friend do you know where you'll go after you die without the gift of Jesus it will be an eternity in hell without God good works will not get you there for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. To spend eternity with God, we must recognize that we are sinners in need of Christ. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, 
and the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. To be assured eternal life, we simply talk to God, admit you are a sinner, and ask him for his free gift. You must mean the words to get the, to be answered. Jesus is waiting to hear your request. If you have asked him for eternal life, he has come into you and he will change you. Start reading the book of Ephesians and see what God says about your new life. After you understand the book of Ephesians, you can start reading the Gospel of John. Next, find a good Bible teaching church. Tell the pastor about your decision for God and be taught. If you contact us, we will send you a new believer booklet free of charge. Congratulations and grow in Christ. You can contact us by email at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or by snail mail at P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona, 86431. We are happy to help with your new life in Christ or even answering Bible questions. Again, congratulations on your decision for Christ.